0: What's up, bro? (laughs) (laughs) There's not a rule that you have to use the two subs. He's he's the best left-back in Canada, without a doubt.
1: and hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the third sub podcast i'm your co-host alexander going music joined as always by sammy ronin special episode uh, certainly a special episode especially for those ogs if those of you have been around since the the early days who would have ever thought last year or not around this time certainly a little later in the summer be sitting there breaking down a white caps trophy You know of course this this podcast since its original days a Vancouver Whitecaps podcast although we do chat about everything in BC these days but certainly again for the Whitecaps to win last year once is nice but twice they've done it now thanks to their victory over CF Montreal in the 2023 Canadian Championship final who would have thought we'd be sitting here talking about back-to-back trophies for a Vancouver Whitecaps team hard to believe it but of course sam i mean i i went in hot for this intro and i think you kind of had to because again i still i'm thinking back like the final was fun i love going to finals just something surreal about the implications a trophy the celebrations but to sit back and reflect and be like wait the White Caps won and you know we'll dive into it more in depth of course but the White Caps played well in a big game in a final and didn't just you know sit behind the ball and pray for you know divine intervention to to get them over the line i mean maybe they did at the end but for the most part surreal but uh sam before we dive into that what how are you feeling and just i mean quick thoughts on uh you know the idea of the white caps winning a trophy less so the the match itself
0: yeah it's a it's a great time to rejoice in the splendor of a vancouver white caps victory that ultimately ends up in them hoisting a trophy right like that's a Uh, that's something special that can't be, uh, can't be understated. Right. I mean, in the lead up that day, uh, watched the Europa conference league final between West Ham and uh, Florentina. And, you know, sort of thought to myself, like during the match, I was kind of like, Oh, well it's conference league. And then you realize it's like, wait, West Ham hasn't lifted a trophy like that in 40 years or something. It's like, Oh, well, you know, even if it's conference league, that's still kind of a big deal. Right. And so uh, for these Vancouver Whitecaps, I think there's been a similar thought in the past, maybe about the Canadian championship. It's like, well, there's only really three teams vie for it. And yeah, it's good to win, but like, ah, who really cares? But now they're able to win two seasons in a row and you know, it's a real point of pride for this club. And um, they stated at the outset of the season, when I say they, I mean, Vanny Sartini, Axel Schuster, this was one of the two primary goals and objectives of the season, right? It's win the Canadian defend the Canadian championship, make the playoffs, win a playoff match, win a playoff round. And so, you know, one of those boxes has been ticked off. And I think that that has to make their, their shoulders a little bit lighter the rest of the season where it's like, Hey, we've, we've accomplished one of our goals, but it also sort of frees you up. I feel like to go on and, aggressively attack the next challenge right like up until this point there was always oh well we got to do well league play but we also really value this canadian championship um and and now they can just um kind of synthesize and and focus on one competition uh we'll we'll get into maybe a little league's cup conversation and how seriously (laughs) they should take that we can obviously dive in but i think the majority of this show right is just we're gonna we're gonna look back at uh, at the Canadian championship final uh the white caps as we said lifting the trophy in back-to-back seasons and uh you know talk about some of the key performances as you mentioned Alexa uh, you know a really solid performance it wasn't just like a one nil hang on for victory the white caps played well for large sections of the match and uh and then will you'll talk a little bit about the wider implications of of the win as well and all that good stuff um yeah we'll try to keep it Uh, relatively in and out here. Obviously the Whitecaps do um, have one more match coming up here before, uh, before they finally get midweek off. But uh, yeah, we're going to keep our focus largely to the final that was. So we're looking forward to getting into it. I apologize in advance. Uh, Allergy season is officially here. I'm incredibly congested. So if, if the audio on my end is not fantastic, I apologize.
1: Yeah, that's just the, the nature of the game really. I mean, Good thing I guess none of us are recording on the east coast of Canada right now or, uh, you know, with the, all the smoke going on there wasn't the greatest for the lungs, uh, you know, and and many other things, the environment, but that's a, a whole other story. But in terms of this, yeah, final itself, I think basically to dive in, I think the performance for me is really what stood out because look, I, that was kind of the feeling that I was getting, especially in that first half, but even when you reflect back on is just think about how many big games the Whitecaps have played in their history. So you can probably count them, you know, on on two hands, I'd say, pretty comfortably. I think of, you know, those first playoff games, you know, the two Cascadia playoff game years where they had them in 2015 and 17 against Portland and Seattle, respectively. The one game against Seattle, uh, the San Jose Earthquakes, a bunch of can champ finals in there, although some more memorable than others. And couple champions league games but what's the theme across most of them really bar those you know two that they'd won uh canadian championships before this year and i'd probably say the san jose five no win is that just again there hasn't been this history of coming out with the right sort of performances in the final it's not one thing where look at soccer you can play a fantastic game and lose the whitecaps have have had that a few times this year where they play some great football but don't win look that's the game that comes down to execution, et cetera sometimes on a off night you run into a hot goalie, et cetera, et cetera. but what's you know for the most part the white caps the unfortunate reality is they've headed in those games with the wrong mentality and it's them sitting as the team that needs that sort of just miracle to get it over the line right like that was the frustration about the Seattle tie in 2017 is they you know the one with the fame no no shot on target across two legs it's like look, you lost to Seattle, they go on, and t- in 2017, they don't end up uh, winning the Cup, but, you know, they're a top team. You're sitting there looking like, okay, like, what was the point of that? Like, at least go out swinging. If you lose 4-0, if you lose 1-0, but you kept it close, right? Like, at the end of the day, you, you got to go for it. Dude. And I think that was the big thing about a final like this, is even the past can-champ finals, although the 2015 one was an exception, because they did go after Montreal that game. It's just far too often in big games the white caps have just been too passive they sat deep it's okay if you get something on the counter it's individual brilliance it's going to be a moment of your best player taking a guy on and having a crack and your your keeper makes the saves and you know defenders make tackles where in this game i just i love the blueprint of all it just felt like everyone was bought in it was dialed in it was you know the Everyone knows where to be in possession. Everyone knows what lines to break, when to to run, when to step back. Defensively, they were just moving as a unit for most of the game. You know, I, I just I love that sort of cohesion. I think that's really the biggest thing where this Whitecaps team has come a long way. And I, I think also, I mean, credit has to be given to a guy like Vanny Sartini in all that. We've, you know, he's we've talked a lot about uh, you know what Vanny Sartini has brought, and I think ultimately games like this shows. What his vision, uh, you know, why his vision has worked and where he why where he is now. Sometimes it can be frustrating the execution of that vision because obviously he sees, you know, certain players in that vision in different roles than maybe people expect or want them to. And there's a few growing pains in that regard. But ultimately, the vision is. Sound and when it comes to life like this, you can see why, right? Just the, the for me, the performance, especially on the ball in a final to finish with 2.77 XG, of course, that's a penalty, still over 2 XG pretty much without the penalty. You need to have all those chances to be on the front foot for most of the game, like that's just surreal to see, especially given that there's just a history of the white cabs doing the exact opposite in these sorts of games.
0: Yeah, uh, you you laid that out so well, but I think the best part about it for me, Alex, is that that wasn't a fluke or a one-off performance. Like that's that's the blueprint of what this team is just generally capable of. Like they were the better, you, you look at the roster, you look at the quality of the players, you look at the fact you're playing at home and you're kind of like, yeah, like the Whitecaps should go in and dominate that match. Um, Andres Kubas should clean everything up in the midfield. Julian Gressel and Ryan Gould should be giving... You know, the the CF Montreal defensive unit, all kinds of difficulty, um, not only in possession, but like I think of a number of times where Ryan Gauld won the ball back with like his dogged defensive work and just got the White Caps out on the break and transition immediately. I thought that was great that they had they had a blend of both in this match where they they did a lot of good work in possession, but then there were also those moments where they were able to catch. Um, CF Montreal trying to create and immediately flip the play around and, and create chances the other way. So it was just a great top to bottom performance, especially that first half. I mean, a huge shout out to Jonathan Sirwa, Whitecaps legend of, uh, you know, basically very, very little actual MLS minutes, but nonetheless a Whitecaps legend and um, played fantastic in this match. Obviously, Uh, The moment that led to the Brian White goal is probably one he'd like to have back. It's an awkward ball, but in that first half made so many good saves. Uh, I almost feel like that 2.77 XG is underselling the the chance creation for Vancouver uh, because they were all over the place in the first half and really had CF Montreal spinning. And as you said, this is just like the mentality of this club in the past would have been, oh, well, well we'll feel our way into this final and we'll, you know, kind of Mark Dos Santos ball where they would wait and we'll keep it nil, nil until the 75th minute and then wait for our opportunity. And, and that's <laughs> not the mentality of this team at all. Right. Like that is um, it took a little bit of time because I think Vanni Sartini is uh, incredibly resolute in his beliefs, right? Like, and, and I don't mean this just about football, but like whenever you chat with Vanny about anything, it's like he has a very clear idea of what he thinks is right, the right way to do things, and he's not going to deviate from that in in anything in life. So, uh, you know he he has this idea of the Whitecaps playing this possession based, can control the pace, control the flow of the match football, and. You know, it hasn't always worked, but now they they seem to have the players and the and the pieces and the cohesion where it's gradually coming together. And, and so to see it shine in a match like this, where yeah, up until the 80th minute, it was really I mean, if they could have just seen this match out without losing their heads a little bit at the end, it would have been an absolutely phenomenal 90-minute performance. And and nonetheless, I mean they they did what they needed to do to get the job done. So Uh, huge credit goes to the to the top players for Vancouver who really showed up Uh, I think a big credit goes to Vanny Sartini uh, not for doing anything revolutionary but just sticking to his guns and not not overthinking the mentality in a big match not not trying to play it like a final but just playing the brand of football he he wants his side to play and I, I said it before the season and I'll I'll stick to it I think that's vanny's biggest mission this season is just sort of keeping it simple don't overthink it don't get in your own way just you 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 know how you want this team to play and so just kind of deliver what you need to to get them there and i think this this match was a great example and hopefully should uh should springboard this club a little bit going forwards
1: yeah look um well earmark our debate is Vanny Sartini the best Whitecaps coach ever? Because I I recently had it on uh, Northern Football, and I think Sam and I we can tackle that thing very in depth at the end of the year uh, when we assess how everything cracked out. But again, credit again
0: for for what I'll, Vanny I'll Sartini just say is. I'll say this right now: if they win a playoff match with Vanny Sartini as the manager he head coach, he is like that's it's just it's over. The question is: Is is it all? Are we already there? And if they if they're not able to do it this season, then it's then it's a more complicated question. But um, he's he, he's teetering closer and closer, which is kind of crazy to say. It is, it is a low bar, but nonetheless, uh, you know, a bar to clear, anyways.
1: Exactly, and I just I feel like it's, fun, it's funny to throw out there just because shows a, how quickly things can be. Because as was pointed out on uh, to me, and it doesn't feel real. He hasn't been on he's been on the job for all of what like 22 months like somehow because he was hired at the end of 20 the summer of 2021 and it's not even been two years since he was hired and just shows how quickly things can turn around and if anything it also shows that there's still more to come right like still just a second full season still only halfway through the this second full season we've seen just the glimpses of them like statistically developing into an elite team aesthetically developing into an elite team and now it's just like again there's pieces it's pieces away it just feels like if you can you know if you can get Vanny all the toys he needs so to speak it's almost exciting to see what this team could look like with you know some fullbacks that suit the system or say or you know some of these other dis- discussions we've had and we'll we'll earmark mark him again it's a final we'll we'll have all year long to 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 debate that but I kind of like your point about the big players, too, because I think that's kind of been the big thing now, especially if you look from last year's final to this year. I think you can see it happened as well at the end of 2021. It happened last year on the playoff push. This group of Vancouver Whitecaps players, especially those at the top, feels like they're not getting enough credit, but it feels like this group of players is just the best they've had, not in terms of, you know, you can go into the debates of, is it the most talented, et cetera. But like also if we're talking white caps history, it just feels like they're the most clutch. Like it just feels like they want to play in these big games. And what I, you know, you love to see about this white caps team is that when they play their best, their best players are usually very central. And usually they're doing that in big games. Cause it feels like before you think 2015 era, for example, when the white caps had, that was probably their best season, right. By statistically they finished like, whatever it was, very high in the West. Like second, they were like a top three team in the Supporters' Shield race. felt like that year, that team was very good because everyone overperformed. It was something where it was like, yes, you had your Pedro Morales. And, you know, I, I guess at the time, 2015, the striker, I guess, would have been Octavio Rivero. Even even he was all over the map. So enough not have to get in that. Look, you look across the board, it felt like there was a lot of overperformances carrying it. You know, it was okay. You got this guy Kendall Waston from Costa Rica and are okay he's actually kind of decent he's holding uh, the fort back there you got a couple you know fullbacks that aren't necessarily heralded you look in midfield yes you have Matias Laba um, but even then he wasn't someone where uh, I mean I guess he was a DP but it's just the, the pedigree he's not someone where. Uh, how would I put it with Laba his pedigree is not someone of okay this is like a, an absolute star he was always fighting to get that recognition he rightfully deserved uh was Matthias Lava. Whereas now on this team, there's this group of players where they're just legitimately weak and we are uh, weak. Out when they're taking over, they, they they take these games. And I think this example, this final is a great example. Like you look back at the game, you're like, okay, why were the why did the White Caps win? Oh, Ryan Gold, their DP number ten, just took over the match, won a penalty, scored a penalty in a crucial time, was just dropping dimes. Julian Gressel, an MLS vet who's won it, won the MLS Cup, he's won these trophies, he's been an elite player, all star. He just wants. He's taking these games over at Will Andres Kubas. You know, a player who comes with league uh, pedigree. That's why. That's the comparison I make with Laba. Of course, Laba very got the pedigree well known. It's, Kubas comes with that top five league pedigree. He's playing like that sort of player week in week out, and it's carrying the white cap spots. Takaoka, you bring in the you know Japanese goalkeeper with Champions League experience. He's winning them these games. You know, where they if they have that lapse of concentration, if they have that moment of madness defensively that they're prone to, he's there to clean it up most of the time. And I think that's another surreal element of that just it feels like it doesn't get talked about as much that this Whitecaps group of players for the most part in these big games when they've been asked to think of that 2021 run when Ryan Gold scored that goal against Seattle or Brian White scored all these goals. And now Brian White scoring in back to back finals. So you can throw him in that list when, when the hour cometh, they, 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 you know, they answer the call. And I think that's uh, an underrated fact about that team, this team.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to have, you know, the players and sort of name recognition and guys that can um, rack up stats and in good play on match 13 of the regular season. Right. But it's another thing when there's a trophy in the building and, one team's going to come out victorious and some players are built for that. Some players aren't. And it, it seems like the white caps have, you know, guys like gold and Gressel and Takaoka that uh, seem to show up when you really need them. I mean, given that you gave those guys a shit at all already, I want to go a little bit further down the board. Cause I think there were some, some depth or underrated contributors that were really good in this match too. Javain Brown uh, mercurial as ever like, you just never quite know what you're going to get, but he was all over the place. Super active defensively in this match, obviously made the crucial intervention right at the death. um, And and that was a key moment. And, you know, if I combine this with uh, pocketing um, some of TFC's best players in the final last season, like he, this is two years in a row now where he has shown up big in a final now obviously there's the the pacific affair against josh Hurd two seasons ago which maybe goes a little bit against that theory but a big shout out to Juvain. i thought that was a nice performance i even want to say i want to give a shout out to russell tybert i think the fact that the whitecaps were on the ball a lot in the first half probably uh, helped his contributions but you know a couple key passes a couple nice moves around the edge of the box uh and Rusty was was pretty decent during this Canadian championship run. And I, I don't mind him as a depth player. I think the, the issue is always that he was getting starts where maybe that shouldn't have been the case. So, you know, just a couple guys further down the list, maybe less notable names. Um, but but nonetheless, I think that's you know something you need if you want to win this championship, right? Like because um the final is is where you hand out the trophy, but you also need starts and contributions on the road against the cpl team along the way to get to this point and the whitecaps relied on a good amount of their roster to get there so there's um yeah the the big guys showed up when they needed to but i think they it it speaks to the whitecaps's depth as well that they were able to you know they're able to survive a loss of an ali ahmed who they don't have to fill out one of those canadian spots and they're able to bring up levante johnson and he's able to uh you know maybe he wasn't super super involved in this match but when he was on the ball when he did get involved uh his contributions were quite good and it didn't didn't feel like he was too far out of step with with this whitecaps team and it wasn't like the whitecaps missed out on too much so i think that that again that speaks to uh the quality of the second team that speaks to just the overall roster construction which is uh yeah, if you're going to win cup competitions, it's, it, it can't just be your top three players. It's got to be your top 18, 19 players that are all, you know, all put in solid showing. So I, I think the, the overall squad deserves some credit for that, uh, getting all the way through this competition without an issue and then taking care of business in the final.
1: Yeah. I mean, you need, you need depth, especially with midweek games, the rotation, the turnaround and the depth players stepped up immensely. Again, I mean, another player, not really depth. I just, you know, thought he deserved a shout as well. Ranko Veselinovic just feels like quietly, as of late, Tristan Blackman getting a lot of the plaudits, and re- deservedly so, given his play, especially in that month of May. But a guy like Ranko, a couple games where he showed up strong in the final, a big game, two years in a row, he puts in good showings. Um, you know, again, I mean, he's kind of one of the bigger players. Brian White chipping in with the goals you know you, you you do uh appreciate that and also i mean you know some of the subs come off the bench as well and um you know bring good energy for the most part it feels kind of like yes you could look at the the late not collapse but late kind of chaos and be like okay did the subs help that potentially not but i feel like that's more of a whole team issue as much as it is the subs coming into the to the game so yeah i think the the depth show is a good one but uh I guess that kind of covers it for most individuals that have, to be honest, there's a final, like we mentioned, great team performance. They played well. So like there wasn't really anyone who could have had a home saying they didn't do their job, which is partly why the white caps were winners in the end.
0: Yeah. I'll just, I guess I'll circle back to some of the key guys. And I think uh, we were talking about this a little bit pre-show, but Yoi Takoka deserves big credit for, um obviously the you know there's the one big save that really stands out but uh beyond that just his ability to stay sharp the white caps being a team now that possess a lot more of the ball don't don't necessarily concede as many chances he has to be ready for you know when the white caps do have a defensive breakdown those one or two moments where they really need him to clean up the mess uh, he was able to do that in this match and i think he's shown a knack for um, being able to do that this season, stay really sharp and, and and be Johnny on the spot when when called upon. And so, uh, you know, I think part of that for Takaoka is maybe because he's so good with the ball at his feet. He gets to be involved in the match and contribute in a way that doesn't involve him making saves. So it maybe allows you to stay a little more keyed in. Uh, but Takaoka was great. And then, I mean, I think Gald and Gressel are probably going to get a lot of the the praise, because they were the guys on the ball, taking the shots, creating a lot of the chances, assisting, scoring a goal. But I just think Andres Kubas, like in terms of the way against Montreal, and then I think back to against Houston, the way he's just an absolute brick wall in the midfield, none shall pass. Uh, and it's, it's taken... On the shape, where other teams, I think, especially when they're coming into Vancouver, they're they're just playing like, "Wow, well, we got it. We have to go direct because if we try to play through Andres Cubas, we're going to get stopped." And I think that that's, it's maybe not as visually obvious all the time, but but his impact when he's on his game uh, has been monumental. And I mean, you even see in a match like the St. Louis one where maybe Kubas or not the St. Louis one which I'm thinking back to a loss before and I'm I'm struggling to remember now. I might have to look this up. When he did. But there were, there was a,
1: he didn't. There play. was a little
0: there well there was a little stretch prior to prior to the White Caps playing St. Louis where they had a couple off-color performances and they weren't Kubas's best Ooh, matches. The Portland was,
1: the Portland game that was the one Vanny highlighted it after the game as well.
0: Exactly. And I think where he was kind of at least semi responsible for both goals. And it was like, that was really, really felt just because you're so used to Kubas being that brick wall and being so good and so difficult to play around that. um, I I think that Portland match was a great example of like, man, if, if you don't have him in the team, look at how different it is. So I just, I, he was a guy that stood out to me, even though there were, um, you know, a lot of positive offensive contributors in this match. So I just wanted to circle back to those key guys. Cause uh, yeah, I, I feel like those two golden Gressel rightly so deserve a lot of credit, but, but those other two came up huge as well.
1: Well, all I'd say for Kubas around round that thought off is I had this thought after the Pacific game, we had a good debate about it in the press box at the time, just some food for thought. Anders Kubas is a lot closer to being the best signing in Whitecaps history if you're talking value, impact, and just overall contribution. It sounds wild to think at first you sit there like, what? Like, Camilo, oh, or, you know, Morales, Gold, and all that. But if you look at just value, you look at some of these and what he's brought, like, for what they got him, what just how quietly he's gone about his business, how he's quietly just been one of the best in the league at his position – even a, a guy like Gold, when he's been at his best. It's kind of almost like, I guess that's just the nature of attacking players. It is a bit loud, right? You're getting the goals, you're getting the assists, the contributions are there. Whereas a guy like Kubas, he's just quietly dominating the league. And, you know, you could probably say he's one of the best sixes in the league. And just you don't feel like you realize that enough. You don't sit back and think that enough. So I don't know if, uh, you know, about you, Sam, but the, ultimately the debate that we ended up settling on at the time this was before they'd won this final and I'd said this final them doing well and him going out and playing great like for me he was number one but it was but it was a one and two it was very close the other one that we interestingly came up with was the Max Carpeau trade but that one really was just the lack of longevity was what hurt it cause the value there was immense and just the fact that he carried them to a playoff but certainly after winning two trophies he's yet to get to the playoffs of course that's the next goal but Andres Kubas already and just A year, exactly a year at the club, like my goodness, the value and the impact, like it is under, it's so understated.
0: Well, and here's why I think he'll easily be, if if he's not already the best signing in Whitecaps MLS history, he will become the best signing. He only just turned 26 this year, so... You know, this is not, you didn't bring in a 30-year-old veteran. You brought him in, maybe he's a 24-year-old turning 25-year-old, and now he's just turned 26. So, like, there's a lot of life left on the tires here. And Kubas could be a top-level defensive midfielder for the Whitecaps for the next, four or five seasons conceivably, maybe, maybe he plays too well and he, and he gets a move elsewhere. (laughs) Perhaps that's a concern, but that doesn't really take away from the quality of the acquisition. Right. So uh, I think that uh, that only is going to uh, reflect positively on, on his acquisition long-term and, and yeah, I absolutely, absolutely agree. It's just, it's just not a position that's all that glamorous, right? It's kind of easy to forget about at times because you just, you plug him in at that number six and you forget about it. But uh, yeah, his, his impact is huge.
1: Perfect. Well, rounding out that, that pretty much touches the notes on the players. Now, before we, we look ahead a bit, just in terms of, you know, what to do with a few key players, what does this mean for the rest of the season? I had a fun theory. So we, we threw this in here uh you know sam i'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this basically my opening question and then i can present to you kind of the theories behind it were we about to see say this game ends 2-2 or ends 1-1 maybe not 2-2 but say this game was a tie and goes to a penalty shootout were we about to see thomas Hassall in goal for the penalty shootout as wild as it sounds, do you think that's a possibility? because I think there's a few reasons why I'm just curious if I said that to you, what does that immediately hit your head? What does that ring a bell?
0: Well, so this is because Thomas Assol is particularly good at at saving penalties. is that the is that the premise here?
1: Yes, and that Yohei Takoka isn't he obviously saved that one against uh, Colorado uh, you know not long ago, but he actually his penalty numbers surprised me when I looked them up.
0: Yeah, and I would say from um, you know seeing a lot of assault, uh over the years, I think that that kind of athletic, you know, explosiveness required to to get to the corners to save penalties would be something that he absolutely excels at. I don't know. I'm always just this is going to maybe be more of like a a general sports take than a even Whitecap specific or you know Canadian <laughs> Championship Final specific i just the idea of like bringing someone in cold into the most important significant moment and just being like a slave to the data in those moments ah, something about that just feels like icky and wrong i i would really i don't know if i was a manager i would really i would really struggle to do it i, I obviously there's I think we both, we both really like the data. It's, it's massively useful and it's, it's incredibly important, but I I also think there's a, there's a sense of feel. And I would say, as I'm kind of thinking about this on the spot and developing my opinion, it might be different. And the feel might be different from me. If Thomas Assal had like come in in a couple of matches and was kind of having a good year as a backup keeper in Vancouver, but I just think the, the general vibe and aura around Thomas right now is just a little nervy and negative. And for that reason, I think even, even with the additional consideration of I'm not sure about bringing someone in out of the cold, I think just the way the year's gone for Thomas, I I don't think that would have been a smart idea. But I understand how conceptually there's, there's an argument for it.
1: Yeah, well, I just thought it was something interesting because look, it's something where... First of all, as we know, goalkeeping in any sport is um, it's juju, it's luck, it's name, whatever sort of voodoo is the term they used to throw around all the time with the Canucks back in the day. It is a very strange process. One year you have players who can look like world beaters and the next just by the virtue of who knows what you look completely below average. You know, you have these cold streaks. I think it's one where ultimately, especially in penalty shootouts, people don't realize the margins are so fine that if you can get any sort of advantage in a penalty shootout, it makes a difference. And I think it's something where, look, as wild as it might have have sounded, you have a zero-pressure situation for a guy like Thomas Asal to go in because, look, you're the goalkeeper. There's Conceivably, the player is 10 feet away and should be putting every penalty in the top corner as professionals. For you as a goalie, if you're even distracting them, if you're even getting a hand on it, you're 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 doing well. And there's a reason why some of those penalties where players just lock in. Like that's how you get a penalty shootout like uh, Man United versus Villarreal a few years ago in the Europa League, where just it was like twelve penalties were scored before one finally missed. Cause look, it's one of those where if you're a pro and you get in a rhythm, the goalkeepers are just basically there standing there just hoping the ball hits them. So any sort of edge you can get, yeah, it's there. And I just thought the Hassalt thing was interesting because we talked about this after the SKC game amongst people. And it surprised me. Yohei Takoka in his career, according to TransferMarkt, has saved three of of 21 penalties. So that Colorado one was one of them. So that means entering MLS, he had saved two of 20, if I'm not mistaken, because that's the only one he's faced so far. It's not a great record. I mean, you know, obviously playing in the J League, I imagine, I don't even want to imagine how good penalty takers are in a league like that, given the technical nature of Japanese soccer players. That's what I I was going to say.
0: Is that just a statement about like how technically sound and clinical J League penalty takers are? I mean, I I don't know. Part of that is me being a bit facetious, but that was something that came to mind immediately
1: well that's it but i guess on the flip side if takoka played there long enough you'd think he'd learn some tendencies and make some saves because on the other side montreal's a penalty specialist like obviously gold scored in the game and it's gold like he's a good taker that's one of those where he's always going to beat the average had it before that gold saved Sierra had saved five of his 10 career penalties uh because uh, valor he was a penalty specialist i remember watching him a uh, live save a penalty i'm pretty sure and he's just he has this way of of Kind of towing on his line and kind of getting near head and just quickly springing to a side and he tried that with gold gold, obviously has you know nerves of steel put it in the top corner and let it figure itself out so it's something where quality or you know quantitatively Montreal is going to have an advantage based on the fact that their goalkeeper has saved fifty percent whereas Thomas Assal in his career I think he saved three uh of i want to say nine of course one of those those saves was in mls next pro but also two of the goals conceded were in mls next pro so if you remove that data it goes to two from seven which look it isn't terrible and i think uh you know again this year the only penalty faced was carlos vela in the bank of california stadium it was one where you're just like stand there and hope it hits you for the most part, he's he's done well. I think of that save he made last year against Alejandro Pozuelo in the game he ultimately got injured in and kind of derailed his season. He he and even in that MLS's back tournament, he just got completely hosed in that game by the fact that the Whitecaps took some terrible penalties against fellow penalty specialist Tim Melia. And I don't know I thought that was just interesting to see that. And then a few other theories all of a sudden make some sense. The Caps, you know, when I went to training on, on, on Tuesday, they trained a lot of Thomas Hassall in, in goal for penalty shootout. The year before, it was mostly Cody Cropper. He ended up starting that game. He ended up staying in net for the penalty shootout. This time, Yohei Takoka did nothing. I don't know if it was because at the time, I thought maybe he was resting, just, you know, get the night off. Like, you don't need to bruise yourself taking penalties. But I find it peculiar that Hassall faced everyone on the team at least once. And then the last thing, basically, to, to round off this you know, wacky theory, but just something fun to throw in the universe. Check the one that the last sub was made for the White Cats. The 90th minute they bring on Sergio Cordova and Diver Caicedo to kind of close out the game. The fact that they'd left subs to the 90th minute kind of indicates that, OK, they were potentially ready in that last minute. Say it's a 1-1 game. You bring in the new keeper and you're kind of like Montreal's all of a sudden panicking, like, whoa, what's what's going on? So saying it's just it's a wild theory I had. Maybe I'm completely off the mark and it's ridiculous. But I just found that interesting that there's a scenario where it looks like the white caps were potentially setting it up for themselves.
0: Now, because the the Canadian championship is one leg, um, it goes to extra time, does it not? no it goes no straight, does it go, straight it goes quick. straight to Penn's. okay so then there's no reason that's what happened substit- last year no reason to save substitutes for uh for extra time then why don't they why don't they have extra time that's a bit odd i understand i understand rid of for the it, I, I understand COVID for like the preliminary rounds but i'm not sure about i feel like a final you still want to have extra time that's a, that's a, that's a downstream debate for a different day, but no, that's interesting about a hustle at training. I mean, I can see Vanny If you know, he's working with the analytics team and they've decided that that's the right call. I could see them again, like I talked about sticking to their guns and that being the plan and them making that decision. I just, Ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. Especially if it, I know in theory it's like a zero fault situation for the keeper, but I feel like if you make that sub and then you lose the shootout, and there's even a semblance of a moment where oh well to- Takaoka could have stopped that. I just that's an unenviable position to be in. Anyways, any any final thoughts about the the penalty shootout because uh then we'll dive into we'll talk about a couple of players that maybe were were considering their future and uh how they fit into the team going forward based on this championship and and just kind of what we saw uh, midweek. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's something where
1: it is exactly, it is something where you worry about Thomas Assault's confidence. But the last point I'd say where I could have seen it happening, look, Vanny Sartini, as we know, is a man manager. And what better way to build up the confidence of your young goalkeeper? Look, you had that rough time in St. Louis. It happens. We are trusting you that in the final, you have a specialty. We need you. We're still going to call upon you. Right. I do. I do think that could maybe been a way to build up his confidence and, Maybe it's something where, you know, Vanny Sartini is, is always looking at ways. I mean, heck, just the fact that Javane Brown, over the last few weeks, he had a run of games where he looked, you know, just completely off. And the fact that Vanny Sartini still had the confidence to lean on him in a final and he ends up rewarding him. It's something that maybe where just Vanny Sartini, you know, could have gotten the most out of Hassel. That's why I'm just, I'm putting the theory out there. It did some You bring up some good points. I feel like there were some good points there that was also miss and it's something just to watch for going forward that you know these this white caps team is also maybe not going to be as afraid to to turn to those aces in their sleeve and have some tricks up their pocket that you know if if need be there they're, they're, they're going to be ready to to you know use whatever qualitative advantage and i think that's always good as a team because look it's something where especially penalties right like My favorite stat will forever be that if you win the coin toss and you shoot first, your odds go up by like 5 to 10%. Just like little details like that. So it's like if you win a coin toss, you shoot first because there's always this theory that you want to shoot last. You want to be the hero that they missed the fifth penalty, you score the fifth, and you look like the hero. Well, no, the math tells you you get first, score. It puts pressure on them to to have to put them away. And I I think little details like that I'm always a a fan of because, look, it's something where – If you're letting luck, if you're going to leave it to luck and whoever's going on, it's just, I don't know, it feels like an approach on the flip side where if you're leaning on luck, luck can easily betray you. But if you're at least controlling everything you can control and give yourself every best edge possible, it usually comes back to you in good forms. But I don't know, it's something where it's also very much recency bias. You think of Australia, Peru in the World Cup uh, qualifiers and they sent out Andrew Redmayne for penalties Uh, you know, this keeper that no one knows of. And he comes in and he's dancing on the line, makes the saves. You think of all those other moments, like the world cup in 2014, like it's one of those where you think of those recency bias. And maybe you don't think of the moments where it didn't work, but look, sometimes uh, I'm all for every edge, but I guess speaking of, of giving yourself every edge on, in terms of roster construction, it looks like after this final, the white caps, very interesting question to now pose themselves what to do with Levante Johnson? The, he's been doing very well at the Caps too, gets his call-ups for three consecutive rounds of the Canadian Championship. He also got a call-up earlier in the year for the Champions League, although he did not future. Now, all of a sudden, that means he is maxed out on his four loans you can get from MLS Next Pro. In a year, he looked great for 70 minutes in the final, got trusted to go that much, was very good. Whenever he got on the ball, very clean touch, awareness of space, running, etc. All of a sudden you look at, you know, the striker situation for Vancouver. And now knowing that the next call up he gets is gonna to have to be a permanent first team deal. He'd go on the supplemental roster it would have to be no more than sixty-seven thousand. Might it be might we see Levante Johnson sign soon? Might that be a move for the White Caps?
0: Well what I would say is that knowing Axel Schuster, I don't think that Schuster burns those four call-ups the way he did, unless there's a plan in place. It's not like, oh, shoot, we're out of call-up auctions. We don't know what to do anymore. I'm sure that this was already thought out. So they've either decided that they wanted to give him a taste and they're going to leave him a next pro for the rest of the season and then maybe just sign him to a first-team deal in the offseason and roll with that, or they're, they're planning on... Uh, giving them a contract and adding, adding them to the supplementary roster. So I'm sure they've already made a decision about that would be my guess. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I, I think it's funny. We were talking before the show, sort of joking, but sort of not joking. Like is Sergio Cordova the the fourth best striker on this Whitecaps roster right now? Right? Like I think you could make a legitimate argument. It's Brian White, Simon Betcher, Levante Johnson, Sergio Cordova based on 2023 first team performance. Like, I don't, that's not crazy to say that. So, you know, the Whitecaps have a bit of a window here where they could look to make make a move within MLS, right? Like, that's always a possibility if a Dahomey-esque deal where you have a player on the roster that's taken up a spot and and you feel like you have an opportunity to uh, let someone else shine and, and maybe Levante Johnson is that guy. I don't know you know, what exactly what Vanny thinks, how, how he's been training, but obviously it's been, it's been good enough to earn these call-ups. So they're, they're seriously considering it. And uh, I mean, as a young Canadian uh, obviously I think our position's reasonably clear where we'd like to see as many of these guys feature in the first team roster as possible, obviously provided that they're ready for it. And it, it seems like Johnson is ready for it. And you know, he's not a, he's not an 18 year old either. So uh, if you sort of believe in his prospects as a pro, n- no time like the present. I know I've been I've been saying that about someone like Ali Ahmed too, right? Like they're not. This isn't Cam Habibula at seventeen, where it's like, oh, we got two, three years to get him seasoned. Like, no. If you if you think these guys are legitimate MLS contributors, and and, and they seem ready, like it's time to give them minutes. So uh, I, I would be fantastic. You know, I I'm not a I'm not an expert to the point where I can pick out every little intricacy of the roster construction and know exactly what the white cap should do here. But obviously, if they're able to bring him in in one of those supplemental spots, give him some minutes and uh, yeah, whatever they need to do to make that happen, if it if it makes sense, obviously, that would uh, be great to see.
1: Yeah, and I think it's something where, look, as we know, there's a lot of, especially at the forward position, heck, the white caps have seen it money always gets thrown about in reckless fashion so anytime you can get a guy who looks like a decent contributor I'm not saying he's gonna go and be simon veteran drop eight goals in his first 800 minutes but that's just an outlier but still just any sort of production on 65k a year is is golden especially when you look at elsewhere what, what teams are playing for for far less and i think it's something where yeah the age is a huge factor just his performance. And look, I feel like it's a zero-risk move in the sense, throw him on the supplemental roster, he's league minimum. You can still loan him out. For, well, not loan him out, but send him down to MLS Next Pro for the rest of the year, right? Keep him developing. But then you have that option that, okay, you know, you you want to see more from him. You want to kind of give him that taste. You can call him up and you're not burning through one of those loans, right? So so
0: I'll ask you, Alex, because you you're often more on top of this stuff than me and for the listener out here as well, probably – how exactly does that I, I've obviously heard of like the supplemental roster and it's kind of what it spots like twenty five through twenty seven on the roster or something mm-hmm. like that, right but what are what are the exact restrictions or like confinements that that come with those spots that's different than like a primary roster spot? Um well, I think first and foremost,
1: the biggest incentive is the cap. like it doesn't count on the cap because they're homegrown or usually they're homegrown or league minimum of salaries. And you can kind of just, you know, fill a roster spot without uh, having any sort of cap implications. And in terms of the MLS Next Pro, if I'm not mistaken, it's like you can just send them down, right? Like guys like Mateo Campania, Isaac have pretty much like Mateo Campania's exclusively spent time with the second team. Yes, he's been called up to the bench a few times. Uh, you can basically just you have the freedom to send them down. Whereas if they're on the MLS Next Pro roster, they have to get those short term call ups. Um, cause so I guess, yeah, I'm in terms of the, the supplemental roster, it, it gives you that incentive of, of promoting homegrowns, you know, cheaper players, usually domestics are those who go on the, that, that, that side of the roster. So it incentivizes teams to sign that. So that's why it would make sense for the white caps. You'd sign a guy, a Canadian cheap, but then you'd still have the flexibility to send him down to the second team uh, if need be. And, you know, have that sort of added, uh, flexibility.
0: So then conceivably the only cost of doing that is like actually the financial one of upgrading him to a to a first team salary as opposed to whatever the next pro salary is and I guess there's only so a, many a supplemental spot. only so many supplemental spots available and the whitecaps have used like having a guy like Campania in one of those slots is they've already used up quite a few of them but I, I don't know how many are are still vacated.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I can uh, pull it up because uh, the nice thing is what MLS, for some reason, that is the one rule they're very clear about, that they publish the entire uh, senior roster in terms of uh, the the there's 20 max on the senior roster off an of early count. The Whitecaps have 15 on the senior roster. Geez, so they actually have quite a few. That's nine, that's 12. Yeah, they have quite a few spots on their roster. So they could just straight up sign them to a senior roster if they want. Because uh, then they have the supplemental slots, 21 to 24. Ahmed, okay. Burhalter, Habibula, Yao take up those four uh, as mm-hmm. either homegrowns or, you know, league minimum. And then there's supplemental slots, 25 to 28. Those are currently, they have four. They've only taken up by two, though. That's Bomer and Engando. And then there's slots 29 to 30, which are, must be homegrowns if I'm not mistaken. The other ones are uh, pretty... And, that's, uh, and like, those dif- last
0: ones, that's what, like, Campania falls an into. Anchor.
1: Max okay, so there's so there's the tons of flexi- so then. there's
0: tons of flexibility then. So there's no real concern then about if they want to put Johnson in one of those spots, there there wouldn't be any issue.
1: Well, they they have the choice of putting him on the supplemental roster, which would probably make most sense. But if for whatever reason they want, they could also just put him on the the senior roster and take one of those slots. But that just would mean he'd count against the cap, and you'd lose a bit more flexibility in terms of. Sure other factors I'm not entirely right. sure
0: but but that that explains why as you said they can call up Campania and put them on the bench whenever they want but if they want to bring up Vasco fry, they actually have to make the little announcement that they've shined them to a, a temporary loan deal. All right. though well, that's good. A little, little lesson for, for all of us that <laughs> this is stuff. I, I remember breaking down these, these different supplemental spots and stuff like that in the past, but it's just, Way too it's confusing. all, a, it's all a bit vague and confusing. So it's not a bad idea to have a refresher.
1: And Hey, certainly for the white caps, um, something to consider. Cause yeah, look it's something where it feels like it's harmless, right? Like, keeps performing, can keep calling up, especially maybe only call them up for home games as a, an option. You have the 20-player bench in MLS, of course, where you can allow a, a spot for, a you know, someone who maybe, uh, you know, on the end of it who's on, in MLS Next Pro or whatever, you can still have them get those minutes in, in MLS Next Pro. It feels like it's something that could, uh, could make a lot of sense. And why not, right? You need all the production you can get. And if you have players in your second team doing well and, Really, my curious question is, obviously, Johnson staked out an early claim to get one of those spots. I mentioned there's two. The question is, who fills up the second one, right? Because it's like, based on early season performances, Coupland's trending towards that. Although, since he's newer, it's you know, it's a good question. I think, obviously, Cameron Habibula's filled up a spot, so you don't have to worry about that. Pretty much, probably, I guess, Coupland's um, the one who kind of leads the way in that regard, right? Because, obviously, the, between the likes of johnston and Gloria manda and that johnson being malcolm johnston of course like there's a lot of intriguing players but the one who stood out the most has been
0: kublin i think so right because either him or or happy bull yeah i think the thing with i guess i'm trying to think of positions where they actually could contribute or guys that are positionally flexible enough in attack that like you could fit them into a variety of roles, right? Because like What's I'm trying to think backs? about re, exactly. <laughs> I mean, fullback is a spot. Um and, and yeah, and also a spot where you can maybe shelter a guy a little bit or like that was that was the thing about playing Levante Johnson in a final, right? Is that like I thought about okay, well, does is this Karifa Yao's opportunity? But it's like, man, as a center back, that's a that's a big spot to get put into in a in a cup final, right? Whereas you put a forward into the match, it's like they're unlikely to make a critical defensive error that leads to a goal against. So uh, obviously, that's not the way you want to think about it, but it's also sometimes kind of have, how you have to think about it a little bit. So. Uh, yeah, I feel like an attacker mm-hmm. or, or a wide player would would probably be the next shout. And uh, you know, Koopland and and Happy could play the wing. They could play the ten. They could play a second striker. So that's attractive. And then maybe you're you're thinking something in terms of wide players.
1: Well, I just say there's a few names just looking at the roster. I think we should watch for by the end of the year, especially you know have to be consistent, keep producing an MLS next pro. But I mean wide player/forward Johansson cuz he impressed a lot at preseason it sounds like Yukon Joe they call him by the way which is a phenomenal nickname that we discovered uh on Tuesday cuz he, he 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 walked he's, by he's, and everyone was screaming he's a,
0: he's a he's a tall kid too right like he's a big winger
1: yeah he's tall but he's got good touch he can play as a nine but he's also played out wide and looked fine in either position uh cool story cuz the first professional player ever out of the Yukon um which is which is cool so he's one to watch because he p- impressed a lot in that i want to say the europe portion of preseason is uh, where he really I- impressed um of course uh to- on top of the other names we mentioned there's a few at fullback um the one he's i'm gonna have to learn how to pronounce him especially if he signs but it's mihail gurasmenkov there's there, gurasmenkov um he is a Moldovan which by the way is awesome considering uh, where Moldova is uh in terms of uh you know the map but he's just 18 he was he was playing in like the MLS Next like U17 team last year was named to like the MLS Next team of the season or something if i remember all star game and he's immediately stepped up to the next pro level has been playing and you know is playing well he got a couple of goal contributions from fullback when i watched him he looked good so like are,
0: 18 are- Our good friend of the show, Caleb Wilkins, we maybe have to have him on even to talk about the next pro guys at some point, but he is like, he is buying the stock on, on the Moldovan. I'm not even going to go for the name, but um, (laughs) yeah, one to, one to watch. That might just be, it might be a year or two off, but I think that the, but I think the the profile and and the kind of underlying stuff is is there, and he seems to excel at every level. So uh, that is very encouraging long term, I think, and and a name we're 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 gonna learn in time, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think I'm I, again. I think it's one where it's a bit early to say, oh, they're gonna sign by the end of the year. But look, for example, with League's Cup coming up, and we'll talk about why I'm saying this. He could be a guy you throw in the League's Cup. And get a look at. And if he impresses, you're like, okay, maybe we have something here and potentially look at a deal or have something where you're looking at bringing him in next preseason pre with an eye on a deal. Then if he impresses in preseason, a few other names as well. Elaj just 18. He already played last year too and looked good. Um, so at 18, already have two, you know, in his second season with the next pro team. He's a right back. Uh girl is a left back. I'm pointing this out because we talked about the need for fullbacks. Um, so those are potential options. Also, uh, a 19, you know, they've got a lot of young fullbacks, Darko Illich. Um, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, this is, uh, he recently of course arrived. Um, so we'll have to see what he ends up developing into, but obviously the fact that he was signed from Germany recently, young fullback, if he, if he ends up hitting on the pedigree, of course, I'm going to watch, although he's an international, uh, so we'll have to see. And yeah, that's pretty much there for wide players and wingers. If not, again, if you have a chance, watch this uh, Whitecaps 2 team, because, you know, you've got the likes of Jay Hardman, who's been fun to watch, Gloria Amanda, especially center back. Center back, there's some fun prospects. Simone Massey went to the U20 World, or uh, not Simone Massey, sorry. Simone Massey is fun to watch. Finn Linder is just 19. He went to the U20 World Cup with New Zealand uh, and has looked really good. Lucas Dasovic, son of <laughs> Nick Dasovic has also impressed. Joshua Nick Indicala as well, 18. Like they have some young centerbacks. Mateo Campania keeps getting call-ups. Like there's a lot of fun players to watch all over the pitch for the second team. So this is our, our shout at the second team now that we went down this rabbit hole, thanks to one Levante Johnson.
0: Yeah, and the and all the permutations and weird, uh, you know, just sort of intricacies of supplemental roster spots. But yeah, those are guys, good guys to watch out for. I just yeah i think the the positions of need is a big thing right like just those are Mm going to be the guys they target and uh but obviously they feel like um as an organization like levante johnson's talent and profile is ready for the the step to the first team that that it seems like that's how they're leading so uh hopefully we'll get to see more of him this season on a first team deal but um i mean speaking of someone like johnson on a first team deal we we want to talk a little bit about what the victory in the Canadian championship means for league's cup, which is, again, we've talked about it on the show. It's sort of this mysterious competition that no one really knows anything about yet because it's brand new and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, how seriously clubs are going to take it. But Alex, you pointed this out before the show um, very astutely that, well, Vancouver is qualified for the CONCACAF Champions League next season. One of the big carrots on the end of the stick for teams in the league's cup is if you're one of those top three teams in the competition, you're able to earn a CONCACAF Champions League spot for the following season. So without that incentive for Vancouver um, and the MLS regular season being so grueling and so important you do wonder how much effort, uh, how seriously the Whitecaps are going to take this competition, how they're going to uh, invest or save the resources when, when it comes to this competition.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just something to ponder because look, if you're the Whitecaps, you want to be in the champions league or champions cup. We're just going to call it champions league for now. We'll eventually switch over to the cup when, uh, it, the White caps playing it next year, because so you can say that with uh, full confidence. um, but for the Champions League, now with the, I, I expansion, don't, I don't mean, understand
0: that just as like a random throwout thing, it's like it's not a cup competition. So why are they calling it Champions' Cup? i I don't know. Cups are like makes domestic, no sense. Cups are domestic, like knockout tournaments. so I, I just I don't understand why they changed the name. Yeah, I guess the only thing is they don't
1: actually play any sort of league, right? Because at least Champions League in Europe, Europa League, even Libertadores, there's a group stage in Knockout, and they kind of got rid of that. So it is a true cup in the sense of its format. And it used to be called the Champions Cup. So at least, you know, they're going back to a bit of a traditional name. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. Like CCL, CONCACAF Champions League, it hits the CCC isn't quite hitting as hard yet but maybe it will be something that grows with time cuz i mean part of the lore of the CCL is just the absolute chaos uh, of the the tournament but anyways for this the big incentive really you know for the white caps but the you know winning the canadian championship of course other than winning the trophy and being king of the canada it's pretty I'd say easy way to get in the Champions League relative to what you had before. And before it was the only way to get in the Champions League. What's great is, I don't know if this was confirmed or I, I think it is, now You Canadian teams can qualify to the Champions League through MLS play. Like they can do well in league play. If They win MLS Cup. Now they actually do qualify. Whereas before it was literally the only way to qualify was the, the Canadian Championship. But now that the fact that these Canadian teams have that added option of if they're actually good in MLS, they can qualify. It's still kind of an an option where you're only going up against three MLS teams. Of course, the CPL teams are the ones not to sleep on because they're guaranteed two spots in the champions league. And I think, over time that will only help with investment and just experience and you know they'll they'll certainly help them a lot in the canadian championship when teams are you know in the beginning of the year fighting with clubs like from mexico and you know central america and mls and then going into the canadian championship but that's a whole other story for another day but all that to say the canadian championship is a lot easier to qualify through than mls play so for the whitecaps now to have already done it and especially leagues cup like leagues cup's a gauntlet it's every team in league mx and mls like that's what almost 40 50 teams just for three spots and something where if you're gonna win it and put all your efforts and finish top three and get that champions league spot you're gonna put a lot of energy a lot of expenditure so really like of course winning the trophy is a motivation but in the middle of the season especially where the whitecaps look they're not in a like bad position but they're in a position where they need to go on a run in league play if they go on a run they could legitimately push for top three, top two, which in this new playoff system would be immense. With all the you know buys and playing games, and you know all that sort of advantage you can get from playing at home, especially given their inability to win away from home. Uh, away from home, you'd want them to play home games in the playoffs. All of a sudden, for them in Leagues Cup, it would make a lot of sense to use this tournament as a chance to kind of freshen the squad, rest guys who are tired, play some guys who maybe need some fitness, who need some rhythm that you want more of. Uh, and now the fact that you don't need to play for the Champions League spot, it is something where I wonder if it might be worth taking a look at some of these guys who are, there's three categories of guys. It's your Sergio Cordova's guys, who guys who you're on your team, you want more of, maybe they just need a bit of a confidence boost. Then it's guys who are on the bottom of the roster who are younger, just need experience. Think your Karifa Yals, your your Thomas Asals, um, if he's still around and not on loan, uh, those guys, and then maybe a chance to even, Throw in a few MLS Next Pro guys and see what they have. So all I'm saying with this them winning the in, earning that spot in the Champions League would it not make a lot of sense?
0: No, absolutely. I think my question, Alex, is like as as you kind of described it there. Who is going to take this competition seriously? Like you know, le- uh, you know, I, I guess it's just teams that are sort of mid-table but feel confident in their position and really really want a Champions League spot that seems like the only the kind of the only category I don't know if you have a yeah sell me on who's going to take this competition really seriously because I I don't know I'm skeptical at this point
1: well I'm interested to see I mean obviously we have to see but for example in the Whitecaps group they drew club Leon you think oh they just won the Champions League great for them I'm looking because CONCACAF doesn't reward the winner with a berth into the next year's tournament, which, by the way, is ridiculous. Like, Seattle won last year. They didn't even get a chance to defend their trophy.
0: Yeah, that's insane. Leal
1: actually hasn't, qual- hasn't qualified for next year's Champions League. And Liga MX, because the way they do it, they use the finals, the uh, the the uh, Apertura and clausura from the last year. That's done. That just finished, like, that, that grand final last week between Tigres and, I think, whoever it was, it was... Um, um, Monterey or or Pumas I wasn't sure or no actually was it was Chivas I don't even remember either way that was what decided the Champions League and Lyon isn't in it for next year so this is actually the only way for them to qualify and defend their crown and I do wonder for a team like that given that they just won a Champions League and you know looked very good that yeah if this is their only chance to go out and make Champions League they might go full tilt and I think there's going to be a few Mexican teams in that situation because it's already done and dusted Whereas MLS teams, I feel like it's going to be a split because really, like, a lot of these teams with how loaded this new playoff system is where so many teams can make it, there's such little separation between the bottom and top. I do wonder if some teams in the mix who are maybe a little injured, a little beat up, if they might just punt this tournament and be like, all right, let's focus on making Champions League through MLS play. So really, the only ones you can surely say are going to take this competition seriously are maybe a handful of teams at the bottom, like, I'm thinking, for example, a team that would take it very seriously is like a TFC, right? Like a team who has who has like overall some top top end players, but are at the bottom of the league. They're out of the you know, they missed their chance in the Canadian Championship. I'm thinking teams like them, maybe like a DC United, um, etc. So really it's it's a not it's a very weird mix, is what I'd say.
0: Hmm. Okay, that's a that's a good point about the I mean. Admittedly, as not someone who follows Liga MX terribly closely, um, I, I hadn't kind of considered that that permutation. And so, yeah, if you're if you're not if you're Leon, you're not qualified for the competition you just won. <laughs> uh, I think you would probably buy every ticket you could for that raffle to try to get back in. And uh, I, that makes sense then for some of those Mexican clubs. And uh, and yeah, I don't know. I guess if a if an MLS team feels like they're kind of confident in like you know, if you're sitting third, fourth in the East, you're confident in your squad depth, and you you're confident in your ability to hold on to a playoff spot. Like maybe you, maybe you go for it, and you have a bit of a run. But I just I feel like within MLS that niche is going to be reasonably small. But I, I'm very curious. You know, like all football is good football. Uh, I'm, it's going to be interesting. And like the Whitecaps playing international competition, someone outside MLS is is always interesting. And As we've kind of hinted at, Alex, if we get to see Levante Johnson, if we get to see more of a Karifa Yao, um, Thomas Asal gets some more minutes if he doesn't go out on loan or end up somewhere else. Like all this stuff is good and interesting. So I think there's, uh, at least from our perspective, merit to this competition, even if teams don't take it terribly seriously. But uh, I think it is just going to be something interesting to watch how how different teams approach it, uh, what their priorities are.
1: Yeah, and I mean the only like argument on the flip side is the annoyance of the schedule, right? Because it's a month blocked out. So if you do get eliminated early, that is a month off for your players. And that's the question: is will a month off or whatever? It won't be a month, I guess, if you play the games. But will two to three weeks off hurt your players in the middle of a season, or will it be what they need? Right? Is it is it a curse to to miss that much time and be rusty, or is it good to? you know get a break when you've had a lot of hard miles especially if you're a team like vancouver who travels so much to just reset maybe they just stay here play some local friendlies against league one sides like honestly i have no idea it's like there's so much so many permutations to consider and i think this is that's almost going to be I, if you're mls you don't want to hear this but i think that's the most fascinating part of this tournament is just like those permutations of who's actually going to care for a champions league spot how are teams going to approach this potentially annoying or helpful break in the middle of their season? How is it gonna halt a team's momentum? How can it boost the team's momentum? Will the team who wins League's Cup like will that help them? Like I'm I'm just curious for all those permutations and how seriously it will take. And look, I just feel like the idea is sound and premise. Liga MX Cup with with MLS, great. But then just do it like a proper domestic cup. Start it in February every couple months, every couple weeks, like you do with your can champ like you do with your US Open Cup. Have a midweek where you sort it out where teams are going to Mexico and teams are going to yada yada. I get there's Champions League and I don't know where it fits. And if it's too busy, then don't do it. Because now it just is a blocked-off month in the middle of your season in peak season. And I think of this. This is the part that's going to be frustrating if you're like the white caps, like sales staff. you you know, that's a huge chunk of July and August, right? I think, right? Where you're usually you sell your best tickets as late in the summer fans maybe if you're playing well fans are going to be happy and then you have one home game where you could be potentially playing a b or c team because it's kind of an irrelevant competition to you and then you're off for a month you miss a huge chunk of dates where you could have potentially got a lot of tickets a lot of interest around the team build momentum because they're playing well they've won a trophy and oh just all those little things add up and they're they're not a it's just annoying
0: yeah it's a it's it's uncharted territory for this league right like the way they they've set this up and and obviously they're trying to build some some tradition some some culture some experience and and they're hoping that this will become a you know a big a big competition and something both League MX and MLS teams take seriously and 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 kind of you know invest a lot into as as the years go on but I think it's just it's going to be a learning process and in year one and yeah, breaking up that momentum in the middle of the summer is going to, going to be a little bit strange, but um, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just completely, it's one of those things, honestly, that I've sort of, eh, I'm going to, I'm going to think about it more when it comes, but until then it's just kind of focus on, focus on the task at hand. And I'm sure a lot of clubs are sort of viewing it the same way where it's like, Hey, we got to, you know, like if you're in a US MLS team, it's U S open cup mls and you know we'll we'll get to that league's cup thing when it comes uh yeah it's going to be going to be really interesting and uh, especially you know yeah having a couple having a couple weeks a little bit of time off if uh if, if you're out of the competition early you know it's a little little mini international break of sorts to uh could be good could be bad right depending on depending on how you deal with it so uh we yeah, well, we'll we'll chat about it more certainly as as the time comes up, and uh, ultimately for Vancouver, I mean, it's just fantastic that they uh, they've got one of those Champions League spots, Champions Cup spots nailed down for next season. So that's that's one less stress and uh, something to be excited about. I mean, more more nights in Central America would uh, would always uh, you know warm my heart for sure. Yeah, or Mexico,
1: or. Yeah, um, Caribbean. I'm curious like as well, like what's it going to be like for CPL teams? Uh, is it going to be like in can Canada, can they match up with MLS Canadian teams? It's the same country. Is it only going to be them allowed to go against American MLS teams? Me as a Champions League nerd, I'm always excited for all that. But so much time in the future before we know all of that. So we'll stay away we were supposed to just dive into all the can champ stuff, but I thought the league's cup stuff was fascinating. It shows, right? It's something where it's there in the future and you kind of forget about it. And then when it comes up, you're like, Oh yeah, there's this weird mid season tournament that kind of actually means something. Cause there's a trophy and champions league spots and a pretty hefty prize amount. I want to say, if I remember correctly, because they want to incentivize teams, but then, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be one that snuck up on us or already in terms of Shoot, it's like already what, like a month, a month and a half away, and then when it's here, it's just going to be hilarious to see. But uh, yeah, I think mean, that pretty much wraps it up for for leagues, cup, and Champions League chatter. Lastly, I feel like uh, while we're here, we may as well because m- before we had our when we had our last episode, it was the day of the BC derby, and um, you know, name to be determined. Although I am leaning towards the salish sea derby and i think ahead of the next derby game i will explain why in more uh depth but i think it's just ultimately one that makes the most sense on factors but salish sea derby the bc derby the lang lang the rob friendly whatever the heck you want to call it went in langley uh last friday and i mean i'm we have to talk about it in the sense that look we talked heading in it's a derby what's it gonna mean but then for them to go out, it was a bit of fireworks, some heavy tackles, a bit of jawing, and then a league record nine goals. Um, you know, also just you know bearing the lead, sixteen-year-old scores the youngest goal uh, or becomes the youngest goal scorer in CPL history. Like this game had it all, and I mean, that's what a way to introduce people uh, to the derby, right? If they haven't already, uh, weren't familiar with the what what it could be, the potential of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, overall, you know, not the way that. Vancouver FC probably would have wanted it to go, but also I think emphatically better than a nil-nil with two shots on target, right? Like a- at least it was memorable and entertaining, and I, I think that's worth something. Uh, you know, like even to think about like the Whitecaps losing to Pacific in the Canadian Championship, it's like, hey, that wasn't that wasn't a good day for the Vancouver Whitecaps, but it certainly was memorable, and so. If, if you can't have the result go your way, you at least want it to be memorable. And I, I think that this match fit the bill. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, eh, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure exactly what I was expecting, but I guess maybe I've been a little bit underwhelmed by the environment, the atmosphere out in Langley so far. I, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe my maybe my expectations were just like artificially high, but I was really sort of stoked about a lower mainland CPL team. And I guess I was just sort of picturing like the Pacific type supporters, culture and environment and feeling and, and just kind of copy and paste that and stick that in the lower mainland. And I just don't know, you know, this stuff takes time to build a little bit. it was probably helpful that Pacific came in as the league was growing. I think it's a little more challenging to, the join as an expansion team midstream. But uh yeah, I just gonna be curious to see how I just hope Vancouver can can get a couple like big marquee victories and maybe build a little bit of build a little bit of momentum to get their season going. Cause I do feel like there was a lot of excitement for the opener. There was a good amount of excitement for this uh Salish sea, Lang Lang, whatever you want to call it, Derby. But now it's like, oh well, if they're playing, you know, Valor midweek or they're who you know, some, a little less of like a banner matchup. It's just like, ah, I wonder if the, the juice is really there match in match out uh, for this Vancouver FC team right now. So yeah, I hope they're able to build a little positive momentum. Having a youngster scoring his first two professional goals certainly helps. Um, And and they do have some, some quality attacking play. It's just like through the midfield defensively, they're so thin. There's so many guys playing it either new or somewhat unfamiliar positions, losing someone like Caden Chung definitely hurt. Uh, I just, it feels like the margins are still really thin. So uh, yeah, I hope, I hope the Vancouver FC can get a couple bounces to go their way here and maybe kind of kickstart their season in a major way. Meanwhile, Pacific just uh, rolling lately. Um, doing, doing a lot of good things. And, uh, you know, they had that little speed bump against the white caps in the Canadian championship, but overall uh, looking like one of the best teams in the CPL. And I think no reason to believe they're going anywhere. I'll just give a shout out to, uh, it's great to hear that Sean Young generating a little bit of buzz in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, MLS moves, people, people sniffing around. I think that's, that's well-deserved as a guy that, you know, is a, an island local and um, really been, you know, been part of Pacific coming up through the system and now really taking a big step forward this season. So I think that's, that's very cool and, and not the only CPL player that's garnering a little bit of interest, uh, you know, either in MLS or uh, internationally. So uh, that's cool to see. And it it does feel like the CPL season starting to, starting to pick up, starting to gain some momentum a little bit. Uh, York United, you know, Despite the ownership situation and a tough start putting in work, uh Forge being forge, you know, cavalry maybe, maybe starting to build some momentum a little bit. Well, you know, it's uh it's still early days. Um, my wanderers gotta find a way to get a win and figure it out. But uh, but yeah, I mean that's the, I, I've diverged pretty far from the uh from the BC matchup. But uh yeah, I, I guess the the big picture for me is that you know, Pacific continues rolling along and seems like they're doing just fine and i just like to as someone who supports and enjoys bc soccer i feel like the eagles could just they need a little push you know they need someone to kind of shove them down the hill a little bit yeah i mean
1: pacific deserves all the praise it feels like this is a team that's building something right like semifinals the canadian championship um kind of were left wanting with the way how that one went and honestly yeah they probably could have showed a bit more but for them to bounce back and keep focused in league play to still be in a good position in league play despite all that just such a deep team can score for fun they play entertaining soccer they play youth right you got your sean young who's growing up in your his own backyard you've got other youngsters who have been uh, you know given a shot it's just such a fascinating story and i just think it's there's not much else to be said so just keep an eye on that the Vancouver one's fascinating on so many levels and it's just interesting to see where they come from, uh where they go from here. Cause look, they have a lot of factors that aren't going their way. Like the sense, like you mentioned, the expansion team is a huge one because it is hard to grab a winning foothold as an expansion team uh in a new league. So you have to get everything right, right? You have to pick all the right players. You can't mess because you know, the the when you're a team that's like a Pacific, for example, and they only needed to sign like right, six, seven, eight, nine guys for this offseason. If you already have a core there, that means if you miss, you could get 50% of your signings, right? That means you're only having to clear out like 3%, 3 players, right, that you don't like out of a 7 if you're hitting around 40 to 50%. If you're Vancouver FC, you're bringing in 23 brand-new players. If you hit 70%, that's still, what, like 5, 10 players in your squad that you're unhappy with. Likely there's some of them that play in starting roles it's tough, right? Because it's like the margin of error that you have to get, make sure every signing fits, every yada, yada, yada. I think for them, that's been a growing pain in just terms of, you know, getting every player finding their role, too, because sometimes you make a signing and you realize maybe they have a different role than what you would have hoped or they fit in differently. So there's all those challenges just in terms of that. The injuries also don't help because, yeah, you're struggling. All right, let's just injure the one, the most established CPL player you have in Caden Chung. And even a guy like Gabby Batar, who had been their best player, misses a couple of games with injury. Thankfully, he's back now. It wasn't anything long-term. That also doesn't help in terms of uh, just experience and morale. And, yeah, I think for them, uh, that, those are all the challenges they face on the field. And you're going to be curious to see now what they do, especially the summer comes up. Do they have any plans to bolster their squad? It sounds like there's been a lot of looks at, at, at players who could potentially step in uh, you know, from local leagues or elsewhere that – you know, get to step up and, and, and bolster that Vancouver squad. So I think that would be huge. They need that. Uh, And then off the field it's just, it shows how much of a challenge it is to market in Vancouver, where look, it is a fickle sports watching market, especially if you're not winning, you're going to have to get creative. And first of all, they'll obviously hope they can get some home wins because that will help like, Oh, a team that's doing well at home that picks up attention, especially if somehow they pick up steam and get a home playoff game. Like that will do well. That's of course a long ass, but with, you know everyone deciding to draw each other the table is tight enough where it's still not out of the realm of possibility for them to heat up and get back on that track and otherwise they'll just be interested to see uh you know what they've learned from all this it still feels like they could do some more work to to capture you know soccer fans just general soccer fans to capture more locals uh especially you know some of the diverse communities that are around that maybe haven't been tapped into as much feels like they could You know there's there's some more work to be done but look it's still early in the season so they have time uh to 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 learn from that but i think those will be the big steps especially uh you know it feels like in langley like it it feels like you could tap into a strong market in surrey and maybe we haven't seen as much of traffic from there uh for this team as 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 it could but maybe early on that's something that they they do and adjust uh, going along because those are going to be the sorts of things that end up mattering long term because look for pacific for example what they've done well is they've just they've gone after locals and it's built up to the point where now people know about pacific on the island there's buses there's interest when they play there's a vibe you see people wearing kits you know and and that community feel it takes time to build so for vancouver fc the good news is that still you've only played four home games you've only existed for a couple of months essentially in terms of an actual project so you know, the only way to go from here is, is up. And as long as hopefully they, they go about it the right way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wishing them all the best and hopefully get some, some positive momentum going here, but certainly some, some positive momentum going at the moment for the Vancouver white caps with a big Canadian championship victory, Alex, any, any final thoughts here to to wrap up the show?
1: No, I think uh, we pretty much uh, emptied the notebook and then some, it was supposed to be a quick show. And I think, I mean, we're hopefully ho- hovering around the uh, hour mark at this stage. So hopefully if you're, if you're here, you, it's about you're as, about as short
0: as it gets for us.
1: Well, that's it. So hopefully if you're here, you're a big leagues cup fan, you're a big supplemental roster fan, you're, you're a big, uh, You know whatever the heck else we ended up talking about fan because it was fun to dive into those topics. Maybe this is an episode where you get into some of that stuff you don't get to as much because the notebook isn't as full and you kind of just end up going off on it. So it was fun to to chat. I think that's pretty much it. I mean, lastly, for for those, we didn't really preview Cincinnati. It's a quick turnaround time. Um, But just if you're listening before the game, the Whitecaps playing the league leaders at home, the MLS supporters, Shield winners are a fun team, Cincinnati. This isn't your Kendall Watson and Kakuta Mane and Darren Maddox and Alan Koch, although he was pretty unfairly fired, it felt like uh, Cincinnati. This is a very different Cincinnati uh, team, so that'll be fun to see them in action at BC Place. Maybe a good measuring stick for the Whitecaps, all, if they're not too hungover from winning the Canadian Championship. So that's obviously there to look forward to. Very tasty games as well in League One BC. I just know because I'm on Sunday. I'm torn. Uh, cause not some what plays the white caps and that women's game. If you have a chance to watch, I think it's around noon uh, up at UBC. That is going to be the cream of the crop in terms of women's games you're gonna see this year, especially because the white caps all their international tournaments have just finished, so they should have a full squad. Not some watt has been rolling through that should be a phenomenal women's game. And even the men's game is going to be very solid. And then another game also locally on Sunday that I'm also torn. I want to go to maybe I end up catching the second game is you get an iron Workers Derby between altitude and rovers. And those were some fun games last year. So, uh, you know, there's already some derbies brewing in league one BC, the altitude rovers fans, a lot of banter. It's going to be some smoke bombs. It's going to, it's going to be fun. Uh, so hey on sunday as well if you're if you're a local soccer fan there's going to be some some great games there and i'm looking forward to that
0: yeah absolutely uh some tasty matchups there especially that that women's game is going to be going to be massive especially if the white caps have a reasonably full host of their players that were off doing um international stuff back in action so um yeah stay tuned for that head out if you're able to and uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at uh, the 3 Lots of good content on there for you to check out. Uh, you can find our podcast at 3 uh, pod, uh, and the website and just kind of the the brand in general, the 3 sub on Twitter. So uh, check those social channels out and uh, Alex, over to you to, to sign off here.
1: Yeah, can Find me on Twitter, Alex Gonjeric. That's where all my football, es- you know, escapades are these days. If my if I'm out at League One, if I'm out at MLS, if I'm watching on the telly, uh, that's where you can find me. And of course, uh, you know, that that's where where everything will be there. Make sure you check out the the third sub. Uh, lots of great work being put up there. Lots of coverage of, of all sorts. Um, and yeah, you can find us. Uh, you know, wherever you, you get your, your local podcast, Spotify, Apple, do leave a review. If, you, if you've enjoyed the podcast, they do help. And, uh, you know, always appreciate those who take the time to, to leave a little rating, a little review, whatever you have time for, of course. So thanks for taking the time with us today. That was episode 168 and we'll be back very soon for episode 169 of Third Sub podcast.